you have your Bibles, take them and turn to the book of 2 Thessalonians. If you're visiting with us, we are working our way through this book, and we're at a transition time from chapter 1 to chapter 2. Now, let me read uh, a portion of chapter 2. We won't deal with it all this morning, but at least it gives you a little bit of the larger context of uh, where we're going to be for the next uh, two or three weeks. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, and we're reading verses 1 to 12. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seemingly from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so to be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Father, we thank you for your word which brings clarity to our world. Sometimes we can get lost in the weeds of life and we just need to step back and be reminded of the big picture, be reminded of events and things that are sure and certain, be reminded that this world is going somewhere, not just floating around anywhere. Thank you for this reminder from Paul to these believers and as a consequence to us of what is going to come in the days ahead. That gives us security. It gives us peace of mind. It gives us hope. And it also helps us to find our bearings in an ever lawless world. So thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It helps to get our bearings from time to time in the Bible. And uh, so the book of 2 Thessalonians is um, one that we need to orient ourselves from time to time. We've just come from chapter 1. And chapter 1, really, we could say in some regards, was about the revelation of Christ. The fact that Jesus is going to be revealed from heaven in all his glory and all his power. And when he is revealed from heaven, the day of judgment will take place and eternal destinies of men and women will be determined. 
in the midst of all of that, the reason that we learned about the revelation of Christ from chapter one was because that the people of God were experiencing severe persecution and affliction. They needed hope. They needed to know that the world was going somewhere. And most of all, they needed to know that God was just. And the justice of God will be revealed at the judgment of God. And so chapter one has been about the revelation of Christ and the severe suffering of God's people. Chapter three, on the other hand, which we'll get to in a little while, is about the responsibility of Christians. How do we live in light of the revelation of Christ? How do we live in the light of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? We have certain responsibilities. And apparently there were some in this particular church that were not caring about their responsibilities. They were not obeying the commands of God. They had disregard to what God had spoken to them. And so we'll look at that uh, in a few weeks. As we're here in this particular chapter now, what it is focused on is the rebellion of Antichrist. And the events that are around and about the coming of Christ are being gathered together to him in the day of the Lord. There is a significant amount of confusion that had arisen in this church. And it's reasonable to conclude, I think, that Paul had gotten word back from Timothy who had he had left in Thessalonica for a period of time and now Timothy had gone back to Corinth and he was telling Paul, listen, this is what's going on in Thessalonica. These are the things that are troubling them. These are the things that they're experiencing. And he gave them a report that many of the believers there are shaken. They're alarmed. They're troubled as they are reflecting on the world in which they live and on some of the things, Paul, that you told them about the coming of Christ and are being gathered together to him in the day of the Lord. And so Paul writes this second letter, I think, in large part as a response to the report that he had received from Timothy. And this particular section in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 ends this long, systematic attention that the Apostle Paul had given to the coming of the Lord. It began in, in earnest in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, verses that we're very familiar with. Um, uh, and it went through the, the, what happens when believers die and will they miss on the coming of the Lord and uh, that no, there's going to be this great return of the Lord in power and might with a great trumpet sound and we're all going to be gathered together to be with the Lord and we will be with him forever and we are to encourage one another with those words. And then it goes right into uh, chapter five, which um, has chapter additions which are not part of the original Bible. And so sometimes we think it's a complete different section, but he flows into chapter five and he talks there about the day of the Lord, which is, to my understanding, um, synonymous with and part of this whole event of the coming of the Lord and our being gathered together with him. And they were concerned there that maybe they had missed it because Paul had been talking about the fact that the day of the Lord would come like a thief in the night. And so he was explaining to them, although that, that will be the experience of those who are in darkness, but for you who are in light, that day will not come as a surprise to you. And so there was a, uh, a lengthy discussion that Paul had about that coming day and how we should live. And at the end of uh, that, uh, well, verse 11 of chapter five, he says, now again, comfort one another with these words. Find encouragement together as the people of God that you know how things are gonna unfold. There are certain rocks that you can stand on that you know will happen and they will give you orientation as you make it through this world and the last day's approach. So now he turns back to address these concerns that Timothy has reported to him. 
And in verse one of chapter two, he says, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him. There's something going on in this church. There's some troubling things that have happened. We, we get a sense of them because in verse three, he says, let no one deceive you in any way. So something had come into that church about the second coming or about the coming of the Lord and, and being gathered together in the day of the Lord that had troubled them, that had, that had upset them. They had been deceived by what had come into them. And then in verse five, he writes to them as well. He says to them there that, remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things. He had certain things that he had told them about this coming of the Lord and the, our being gathered together with him in the day of the Lord. He had told them and somehow that had slipped from their memory. Somehow, something had been said to them and they had been led down a wrong path. And so he wants to address this. He puts the coming of the Lord in a context, a timeline, and we'll address these. We'll only get to one this week and we'll pick up the second one next week. But he talks about the coming of the Lord and all these events that are, are fitted around or after two significant events or, or two significant things. The first is a significant event. Paul calls it the apostasy or the rebellion that will come at the end of the age in which we live that will precede the coming of the Lord. And then he also talks about a significant person that will show up on the history of the world and that will also precede the coming of the Lord. And that significant person is the Antichrist. He calls him in verse three, a man of lawlessness. He also calls him a son of destruction. And then a little bit later in verse uh, eight, he calls him the lawless one. And he says that he is energized and empowered by Satan. I believe the Antichrist is the little horn of Daniel chapter seven. It's the sea beast that we read about in Revelation chapter 13. And Paul will describe to us or explain to us that this Antichrist, this coming one, is a person, not Satan. He's distinct from Satan. He's a, a human being that is empowered by Satan, that Satan gives him his authority. The word antichrist is not used by Paul or in fact anywhere else in the New Testament except in, in 1 John 1 and 2. And there the word is used four times. John describes how uh, many antichrists have come, but there is the antichrist that is coming. And one of the marks of the antichrist, John says again and again, is that you can distinguish him or you know him because he denies that Christ has come in the flesh. He denies that Jesus is the Christ. He denies that Jesus and God um, are connected. And I think in part, that's because as we read, he wants to take the place of Christ. He wants to be proclaimed as Christ. That's why the Bible gives him the term antichrist. And so... This is what Paul is dealing with now as he's trying to reorient these Christians in Thessalonica and bring them back to things that he had already taught them in stability. And so he had a concern, and this is what's first mentioned in, in verse one of chapter two. He's concerned that they have kind of left their moorings about the coming of Christ, which is the word that some of you are familiar with, which is parousia. It's a word that describes a royal visit. 
It's a technical term for a royal visit. It's a, what would happen when a king or a real high dignity would come to visit a king. It would be called a parousia and they would come. And as they were coming, people in the city, dignitaries would go out to visit them and come back with them to the particular city. And so Paul says, now concerning the parousia or the royal visit of Christ and our being gathered together with him. This is the the rapture when all the people of God, the dead and the living, are gathered together with God and we come with God back to earth. It's a wonderful event that he's talking about. And there's a single article that is used for both of those phrases. So it ties them together. It's saying that they're not distinct events, but they're, 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 they're a single, um, they're different sides of the same event, the coming or the perusia of Christ and our being gathered together with him. And then in fact, he ties that in verse three with the day of the Lord. He's talking about all these three events simultaneously and together. And it's necessary that Paul write to them about these things because somehow they've got off track. Somehow they've been deceived about these sorts of things. It's not unlike the day in which we live today. I think sometimes we avoid talking about the coming of the Lord because we don't like the controversy that's sometimes associated. We don't like the discussions that sometimes are raised because people have different viewpoints. And so sometimes the church is silent about those things. At least pastors are. But the world is not silent about them. And authors are not silent about them. And radio broadcasters and TV evangelists are not silent about them. So we need to talk about these things. And so concerning the coming of the Lord and our being gathered together with him is a concern no less today than it was 2,000 years ago when Paul was dealing with the Thessalonian church. The second thing that he notes is there's this agitation in the church. There's this unsettledness in the church. Not all is well with them. Notice what he says to them, that um, uh, when concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ are being gathered together to, to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. This happens sometimes when we, when we get confused or when we get deceived about some of the things that the Bible teaches about the coming of the Lord and our being gathered together with him in the day of the Lord. There's so many things going on in our head. There's so many perspectives that are given. There's so much that has been said to us that sometimes we can't piece it together and we're just left alarmed. We're left without any particular moorings. We understand when we talk about the coming of the Lord that we have attacks from outside the church Peter addresses those in in 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, in the last days, which we are in now, in the last days, mockers will come saying, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since the world began, everything's the same. It's a bunch of hooey. He's not coming back. And so there's confusion sometimes that comes into the church because we, it's been a long time. We're in the last days and Christ hasn't come back yet. And we hear this, oh, it's not really true. And sometimes people are confused or they're shaken or they're alarmed. But there's also stuff that comes from within the church that causes this kind of alarm. This is what Paul says to them. And just before we look at that, he says, don't be quickly shaken in mind. That's a restlessness in our minds. It's a tossing in our heads like a ship that is not securely moored or it's close to be shaken from its moorings. It's being battered and it's being beaten and the knots maybe are coming down and maybe one or two of the ropes have come loose and it's starting to drift. 
The mind is unsettled. The, the, the foundations are being shaken. Or the second word that he uses is alarmed. It's a sudden shock that throws a person into uh, off balance. It's this ongoing anxiety that results from that. It's being in a flap. And so Timothy had resorted that there's just this confusion and there's this alarm and there's something not right amongst these Christians in Thessalonica. Paul, you've got to address it. You've got to deal with it. What was causing this alarm? Well, this is what Paul says. There's been a spirit or a prophecy. This is a, a prophetic word. These can have such a paralyzing influence on a people. Certainly a church. It's, it's, it's language that's couched in, well, the Lord told me. Or thus saith the Lord. Or I have a word of the Lord from you. I, I'm never comfortable with that kind of language. I don't mind somebody coming to me and saying, you know, Paul, I was in prayer. The Lord was impressing upon me this, but I don't know what to do with somebody who comes to me and says, Paul, the Lord told me. Do I, do I argue with them? The only place I know where the Lord has spoken is in the Bible. That's, my, that's where I stand. That's where I know God has spoken. It doesn't mean that God doesn't still lead and guide and direct, but Sometimes we can use that kind of language with authority or power that is not invested with it. Secondly, he says there are those who, there's a report that has come. It could have been an oral communication that somebody had come in amongst the church. It might have been, there's a lot of um, letters that were being written in those days, agnostic literature that was floating around in, in the early days of the church. And maybe they had picked up one of those apocalyptic letters and that was confusing them. Or there was uh, apparently some that had purported to be, have a letter that was written by Paul that he hadn't actually written. I think that's why at the end of First Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, Paul is very clear. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is a sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. They knew how Paul signed off on his letters. They knew how Paul wrote. They knew his writing. So somehow in one of these three ways, their error had been introduced in the church. Deception had come in amongst the people as it relates to the end times. And then he says in verse five, he says, and this is really, I think, significant. He says, do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? I, I wish I knew. I think we have a little bit what he shared in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5 of what he told them. But Paul's point there is, listen, you need to be rooted and moored in apostolic teaching. That that is what guides you, that that is what directs you, that that is the corrective for everything you hear. Anything I say, I hope you don't take it at face value. I hope you take it back with you and, and examine it in light of the word of God. I, I hope you take it and wrestle with it through the scriptures. That's what you need to do. Don't believe everything I say. Don't believe everything that is spoken from this pulpit. Don't believe every book that you read. Believe the apostolic word of God. And so this is what Paul says. He says, when I was with you, this is what I taught you and this is what I told you. But they're not the only ones who were quickly leaving what Paul had told them under the inspiration of the Spirit. Back in the book of Galatians, when Paul was writing to them, he was distressed about what he had heard. A similar situation. He says, I'm so astonished that you are so, so quickly deserting the one who called you by grace and you are embracing or turning to a different gospel. 
They had left apostolic teaching. They had left the the word of God and the teaching that we are saved by grace and grace alone through faith and faith alone by Christ and Christ alone. And they were reverting back to a work salvation. And Paul was astonished. How can you leave grace and Christ and faith to works again? They were deceived. Somebody had come in and taught them wrongly. And so the same thing has happened in Thessalonica as it relates to the coming of the Lord. Loved ones, the Bible is our final authority, always, on every subject, on every single topic we can ever find or face in our life. Pastors change. Sometimes we change for the bad. Sometimes we change for the good. The world in which we live, in the, in the Christian circles in which we live, have good and bad, have deception and have truth. I look at the world in which we live now and the stuff that is being thrown out at us, even in Christian circles, about marriage or about sexuality or about gender or about ethics or about love or about money is absolutely bizarre. And we absorb it rather than taking that stuff and going back to the word of God and examining it and saying, is this what God says? So Paul is reminding them of the importance of the truth and the apostolic word of God. So then he comes and he says, okay, there's a timing issue here. These were thinking that somehow they had missed the day of the Lord. What was the gist of these letters and these prophecies and this um, supported le- supposed letter that they were to get from Paul? Well, it says in verse three or in verse two, a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. That's what was shaking them. Somehow they, 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 they had no longer any confidence in the timing of the day of the Lord. I'm not sure what it would take to shake you from your confidence in the coming day of the Lord. What is it that somebody would have to speak to you or you'd have to read that would all of a sudden rattle you and, 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 and all of a sudden you'd be upset, you'd be agitated, you'd be alarmed. I've missed it or I'm gonna miss it. I remember growing up in a Pentecostal church. I love my heritage. Um, There's some things about it, though, that I would change. Not all. But one of the characteristics of uh, the Pentecostal church for years, and I think it's still part of it uh, today, was particularly on Sunday nights, it was not only evangelism night, but it was second coming night. It was the prophecy night. It was revelation night. And so uh, I remember charts being hauled out around the platform behind us. I remember guest speakers coming in with all sorts of interpretation of the beasts and, and, and the horns and stuff of Daniel and of Revelation. And it was sort of, they were extraordinary events, but one of the things that they would often talk about was the rapture. And they would often talk about the rapture in terms of the fact that it could happen any minute. And if you weren't ready for it, you would miss it. And as a little boy and then as a young boy who wasn't serving the Lord, I lived in absolute sheer terror that I would miss the rapture. And so on Sunday nights, um, often was the case back in those days, you'd have Sunday evening service and we'd have these services about eschatology and my parents would take us home because my brother and I were little and they'd plop us in the house and they'd say, well, we'll be home by 11. And so my brother and I would get up to all kinds of mischief between then and 11 o'clock. But at about 10 to 11, we'd go back up to bed and we would hope to pretend that we were asleep when my mom and dad came home. Sometimes at about 20 after 11 or 
25 after 11, they still weren't home. And so my little heart and mind started to be alarmed. <laughs> and I started to be unshaken in my thinking. And I thought, I've missed it. My parents have been taken and I've been left behind. And so I'd run downstairs and thank goodness in those days they didn't have call display. But I'd look up a, a deacon in the church or a leader in the church and I'd phone them. And if they answered the phone, then I would be sure and certain that I hadn't missed the rapture. <laughs> but it was this reality somehow that I had missed the coming of the Lord. And so clearly I wasn't the only one that was plagued by that. These Thessalonian believers were somehow troubled to the effect that they had missed the coming of the Lord. First Thessalonians chapter Paul, there was confusion about the timing of the coming of the Lord. I think they had been so convinced and understood Paul's teaching that, that, that the coming of the Lord was so imminent that when believers died, they really started to be concerned for them. Well, are they not going to be raptured then? What, what's going to happen to them? Are they going to stay in the grave? Like Christ is delayed and, and, and now our loved ones, they're hooped because they're dead. And they were grieving like those who had no hope. And so Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18 to remind them about the coming of the Lord and the timing of the Lord and the things that would take place. And he said, no, no, the dead are all right. In fact, when they die, they go to be with the Lord. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And when the Lord does come back, when he comes back in glory and power with the voice of an archangel and the sound of a trumpet, he's going to bring with them all of those who have died in Christ. And as he's coming back, there's going to be a resurrection and the dead, their bodies are going to be reunited and we're going to be caught up together to be with the Lord. And so will we ever be with the Lord. You've not missed it. And then he goes to chapter five, and there's a concern there. As I mentioned, he's been talking about the thief in the night kind of language. And it's very, very true that the day of the Lord will be like a thief in the night. But to who? To those who don't know the Lord. To those who live in darkness. To those who don't care about God. To those who don't obey God. To those who don't care about Christ. It will be like the day when Noah went into the ark and God shut the door and it started to rain. And all of a sudden, they knew now that Noah had been telling them the truth, but they had no opportunity to repent. To them, the flood came like a thief in the night. But to these Believers in 2 Thessalonians, again, Paul says to them, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to overtake you, um, uh, for, that, uh, for that day to surprise you like a thief. The coming of the Lord should not be a surprise to the children of God. It, it shouldn't be something that catches us off guard. We, we shouldn't be thinking in those kinds of terms. So we come back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 here and Paul says to them, don't be surprised in mind or alarmed to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. What's he dealing with here? Well, I think he's dealing with a timing issue. I think that what is going on is that, is that somehow the people of Thessalonica had come to believe that the day of the Lord could happen any second and that they were fearful of that. They were fearful that maybe they would miss it again. They still were confused about who would go and who wouldn't go and who would be caught up and who wouldn't be caught up. And so they were, they were fearful. They were living in such this sense of heightened in, imminence, any timeness, any momentness, that it was causing them distress. 
And so Paul says, okay, okay, let me tell you. Let me give you some of the big rocks about the coming of the Lord and our being gathered together with him in the day of the Lord. How does he alleviate their fear? How does he attempt to calm them? How does he attempt to turn that alarm that's ringing in their head off? Well, he says it very clearly in verse three. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day, what day? The day of the Lord. What day? The day when the Lord comes again is Perusia. What day? The day when we are gathered together with him. He's got all these three events that he's speaking of at the same time. They're, they're different ways of looking at the same event of the same day. He says, listen, that day will not come unless. That's a signal to us, right? Unless what? Unless the rebellion, very clearly what he says, unless the rebellion comes first, the apostasy, that's the Greek word, apostia, unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. He's giving them, he's giving them places to find security. He's helping them find their moorings. He's helping them get stability back in their life. He's saying, listen, you need to think correctly about this. You need to think rightly about this. Yes, Jesus is coming back. Yes, he's coming back soon. Yes, his return is near, but it will not take place until the rebellion and the man of lawlessness is revealed. So don't let anyone deceive you in any way about this sort of thing. He says, listen, before the Lord comes back, before the day of the Lord, there is a certain event. Expect it. Look for it. Know that it's coming. And he says that there is a certain person. Expect him. Know that he's coming. There's a third, by the way. Uh, the third, I believe, Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 24. And it's known only to God. We'll never know it. But he says, Jesus says this, in this gospel of the kingdom, the good news of salvation, um, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. God has a worldwide plan of evangelism. This is why we ought to embrace evangelism. This is why we ought to embrace missions. We are part of the hastening of the coming day of the Lord as we engage in those kinds of things. I don't know what it will look like. I don't know how we will, we will, I don't know how I would ever know that the gospel has been proclaimed to all the nations. God knows that, but I can know if the day of apostasy has come and if the man of, if the Antichrist has come. These two events will be identifiable and discernible to the generation of Christians living when they occur. These two events will take place shortly before Jesus Christ is revealed. Jesus, it says there in, in verse 8 of chapter 2, and we'll look at this um, in a couple weeks, but it says there that, um, that the lawless one will be, will be revealed, whom Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming by the appearance of his parousia, by the appearance of his royal visit. When Christ comes back, he will come back to deal with Antichrist and he'll destroy, he'll destroy him with a That's power. He'll destroy him with a breath of his mouth. The coming of the Lord is certain, loved ones. Never, ever falter on that. Know that it is the blessed hope of the church. Jesus is coming again. 
But as Paul says, it will not take place until the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness are revealed. It's the same um, root word that is used when Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven. It's a reminder to us, and we'll talk more about this next week, that the, the Antichrist may be in place long before he's revealed. He'll be at work, he'll be setting things up, and then one day, just as Christ will be revealed from heaven, and we will see him in all his glory, all his power, all his might, all his divinity, all his perfection, we'll see him. So one day, at the timing of God, Antichrist will be revealed. The, the veil will be pulled back on his evil and on his intentions and on his power. He may be in place before that, but there is coming a day when he will be revealed. So Paul talks about a certain event first, and we'll end here. It's called the rebellion or the apostasy. I think that the Bible describes this. Not I think the Bible describes this as an all-out rebellion against God and God's people. It's Satan releasing all his hatred towards God and God's people at a, on a global perspective in the world in which we live. As Revelation chapter 12 tells us that Satan has gone off to make war with the saints. That's what's happening right now. That's why you feel tough sometimes. That's why you feel exhausted sometimes. That's why you feel the battle about temptation and, and the, the strain of the world in which we live. That's why you feel it sometimes as a believer because Satan is at war. You can't always identify it, but even Ephesians chapter six tells us to put on the whole armor of God that we might be able to stand. Stand against what? Against the forces and the invisible forces of darkness. We're in a battle and it's exhausting. It says in Daniel, Daniel reminds us that the little horn that he saw, which I believe is also the Antichrist, made war with the saints and prevailed over them. Jesus describes a period of time in which they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations on my, for my name's sake. Many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray and because lawlessness will be increased. Listen to that, lawlessness will be increased. The love of many will grow cold. How does that go together? Lawlessness increasing the love of many growing cold. I think it's a, a way of saying that what lawlessness does, it, it just throws away God and God's word. And where do we see love? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. Why will lawlessness increase? Because the commands of God will be thrown aside. There won't be any love in our world anymore. This rebellion, we already see it. We see it developing in ways around us, but it's gonna come on a global, and in fact, we see glimpses of this, do we not, right now? Like, years ago, we could see evil on sort of spot basis, sort of geographically constricted. Now we see evidence that, that the evil in the world, that you see it in the worldwide pornography rings, the worldwide sex trade. We see it in, in worldwide economic realities. There, there is a globalism about evil that is growing in the world around us. But the Bible says that in the latter times, this, this is what we will see begin to happen. The Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. That's significant. 
Timothy chapter, or 2 Timothy chapter 3, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people as this. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I believe what Paul is talking about here is he's saying, listen, Jesus is coming again. The parousia, which is going to be such an amazing reality, the gather, our gathering together with the Lord, this day of the Lord is going to happen, but it will not take place until the apostasy takes place first. We will know it. We will feel it. If we are part of that generation, we will sense it. Don't be shaken. Don't be alarmed. Don't be tricked. Don't be deceived. Go back to the word of God and let that be your moorings. Let that be your stability. Let that shut off the alarm bells ringing in your head about the timing of the coming of the Lord.